Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of Brewer Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host and the publisher of Brewer Magazine, Tyler Montgomery. This episode is brought to you by PackTech, which delivers the highest quality and most environmentally responsible packaging handles to the craft beer industry. PackTech handles are made from 100% post-consumer recycled material and are repurposed from milk jugs and similar containers and are recyclable. In this episode, our editor John Seacott caught up with Matt Shira, the owner of Atlanta Scoffla Brewing. They caught up at the 2019 Craft Brewers Conference in Denver and discussed everything from his insights on the craft beer industry as a whole, overseas distribution, making beer for the masses, and not just a small niche of consumers, along with human resources, employee retention, and volume needs of one-offs. This interview will shed a whole lot of light on what's going on in the southeast of the craft beer market, as well as some little tips and tricks um, in the trade where you can really figure out uh, you know, what you should be doing with your one-offs, um, how to develop more volume, um, and then for some of you bigger guys, really getting into that overseas distribution that I know uh, excites a lot of you all. And remember to go check out Pack Tech, our sponsor for this podcast that makes all this possible www.packtech-opi.com Remember that's www.packtech-opi.com We appreciate all your support and hope you enjoy this podcast. Cheers. You know, what have you done as a brewery so far that is worth building on and how or what are you going to what do you want to do to adapt because of the changes the in the changes. industry well yeah. okay so you shift into a mainstream consumer i think a more main a more mainstream drinker people are there are more gateway beers more sessional beers more more lighter beers more everything even more approachable ipas which is what we make so we've always operated with the appreciation that the market would eventually move in this direction mm-hmm. so instead of focusing on Two percent of, of the population, you know, of the beer drinking population. I'd rather focus on the ninety-eight percent of the beer drinking population, and I get lots of families and wide, wide array, spanning demographic. That we we have everything from twenty-one-year-old college kids of all uh, uh, sexes and races, all the way to ninety-year-old uh, gals. And you walk in there, you can't nail down what it is because we just try to appeal to everyone with with the authenticity and I stick with the brand on the ground so when people come for a, sam- a, t- a sampling at the, t- at the brewery uh, you know I think uh, particularly women uh, females and older males are much more likely to come to a brewery as an incremental experience from what I've read statistically and they will make a purchasing decision later based on that experience mm-hmm. and so I started building the brewery in the beginning by telling the story and being on the ground in the brewery every single day. And we started out with four, five, 10, 15, 20 people. Then it's two or 300 people. We were running off of a jockey box. You know, shit, I better get, uh, I better build a bar in here. I ordered a draft trailer in the interim. But like, you know, I think two months ago we had a little event and I don't like to charge people to come in. Because uh, they're going to spend money on beer and, and merchandise and stuff anyway. So ch- check IDs and give them armbands. I ran out of armbands at 4,500. <laughs> this is a normal Saturday. Yeah. And, uh, and the weather was better. Nobody was on spring break. Mm-hmm. It just it just fills up. And uh, 
So we've worked hard to make sure that we made the right product for the people in our market. Uh, and if it fits other markets as well, maybe we will, maybe we won't go there depending on whether we think it's it's a real opportunity or not. But it's, it's dangerous stepping outside of your own footprint. Yeah. There's a lot of risk associated with that. And a lot of people are pulling back. People have different palates around the country. Look at what we eat in the South. You know, I mean, a lot of fried stuff. There's a lot of sweet tea, soul food. There's a lot of uh, fried chicken and good Northeast, and it's salads and, and organic, you know, and better, probably better for you, but it doesn't taste as good. And you go to California, I mean, you know, then that's a whole different country again. Yeah. You go to South Florida, you're in a different, different territory again. So if the, everything's customized for the for the region of founders all day. I mean, that beer is drinkable forever. You know, it's, it's they were way ahead of the curve with, with, with putting something to market that was going to be drinkable by everyone. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Fat Tire was hugely successful, and, but not everybody wants an, an amber. Guys like us that make IPAs, but we use not extremely bitter noble hops will focus more on a, on the citrus floral etc hop characteristics and it may still be high AB, I mean, IBU but it may not come across as a hop punch in the face because people I love that but I can tell you what I like doesn't make a damn bit of difference it's only important what the people that I'm trying to sell to like yeah. and a lot of times people get sideways with that by thinking that it's about my palate or they they put too much trust in their own palate when they really need to be considering what does the consumer want mm-hmm. and it's not that hard to figure out you just look at what's selling and then you you know you get into that wheelhouse of those products and, and mess around with it if you've got a good enough guy like I have in Travis that he can dial it in to, I mean I can tell him I need this 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 I give him five five profiles five characteristics you know, 20 minutes he's got a recipe and, that, and, it, and it rarely does it miss uh, because he's a very smart guy uh, I like to have people around me that are so much smarter than I am makes my job a lot easier you know? so another thing people should try to do is hire smart people and, and, and uh, smarter than they are and then if you've got it's also changing because it's getting very the dilution of skews is everywhere I mean, it's confusing when you walk into a place like I don't know how the consumer makes that decision so what we did was focus on the on-premise market mm-hmm. because the real, it's a real tasting opportunity, a real, a real sampling opportunity that, that's not reliant on you choosing from 750 beers in your local beer store. Yeah. You know, and how do they move that? How do they turn that kind of product over? It's got to be difficult. It's hard on those guys to have to do that. But it's been trending so far for the last eight nine years in the direction of variety, variety, variety. But now what I see is it's coming back to people drinking some of the same beers over and over again. The cat's out of the bag, right? Yeah. I mean, craft beers better, taste better. Mm-hmm. So everybody, they've got, it's becoming a very wide uh, wide market. You know, Sometimes there's price sensitivities and other issues you have to deal with with the broader market, but generally speaking, people are willing to pay more for a a better product. It's more expensive to make a craft beer. First of all, you don't have the scale, and second of all, you know, the hops and stuff are pricey. You're not just using basic stuff and watering it down. The market is changing, which also changes the structure of your business because there's so many breweries 
the talent pool has gotten thin. You know, so where do you find the right people? So you need to make sure that you take care of your people and you pay your people appropriately. And I would say about consider paying above market so that, that you can retain the, the people that you want. Mm-hmm. And what I've done recently is implemented uh, equity plans for all of my employees who are less than three years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, I give them ownership in the company as as part of their year-end compensation and it, it makes them part of the team. Not that they weren't already, but, but you know, what cost me very little in points of ownership to give interest in the company to my people that may put their family in a better situation at some point down the road just changes the mindset of the employee, right. you know, and, and makes them an owner and makes them care more. So those changes that you're talking about affect every single vein and finger that is in the industry from from your own human resources to how people make purchasing decisions to where the market is going. You can't hide from craft beer. It's everywhere. Right. You know, it's in the 7-Eleven. It's, it's in the Exxon station, you know. I mean, some of the Exxon stations sell more beer than some of the damn bottle shops, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's because it's in the neighborhood, in the right place. They have a huge cooler full of craft beer. People come in there and pick up six packs of our beer or Creature Comforts or, or whoever they, they, they want to pick up that day and, and uh, take it home and consume it. Now, the European market's different, which we, we've been talking to people over there because they've been asking for us to bring product over there. That market is changing from they used to always drink at, at the bar, mm-hmm. and now they're moving back towards the house a little bit. So okay. you put product in the package, and they will take it home. But it's you know predominantly an on-premise market. I, mean, I think there's, I think... There's like 25,000 pubs in London. But the taxes and the duties and all that that, that, that stuff adds up over there. But it's not, a bad, it's not a bad market. It's a matter of speed to market over there and making sure you get product in fresh enough, fast enough. And that's uh, hard for someone on this side of the It is hard. You, you it. just have to have the right partners yeah. and, and have people that will fire it in. And it will, it will you can make it happen, but you have to have a committed partner. You know, has to be has to be someone that's willing to understand that you you need cold chain and you need to move beer quickly and it can't sit around. Which is why I basically absolutely refuse to send package. You know, it's got to be draft beer because that's the only way you're going to move it fast enough. Right. They got smaller kegs. These 30 liter kegs. I mean, if, if some of our accounts, if they use 30 liter kegs, would blow 30 of those things in a damn week. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, in, in Georgia, but uh, over there. They usually have six or eight tap handles, too. It's not like you have all this real estate to go after. Uh, like we have yard houses and Taco Max that have 100 handles, 200 handles. And optimally, you have 20, 30 handles, you're doing pretty good. And you can manage the, the, the line cleanliness and manage the product rotations. Yeah. But I feel like people are moving away from the rotations. The laggers, guys that are behind the, the curve on this stuff, they're still chasing that rotating. And that may be a, a, a niche for somebody sure. that's a neighborhood bar. And that's the great thing about that is they can make five different beers a week if they've got, you know, if they've got 15 bright tanks and little bright tanks that are three barrels each or something yeah. like that. And that, that market's always going to be there. But in the days of getting into distribution, it's, it's to a point where we're becoming a sizable distributing craft beer manufacturers but it's very difficult because yeah. you're competing with so many SKUs mm-hmm. you know we've been very fortunate uh, to be successful in the on-premise market 
but it was we set out from the beginning to do that. I don't know that other people do because I think the typical spread is probably 25, 30% draft and much more package. Uh, and we sell 60% draft maybe and, and 40% package or maybe even less package. You know, we're not really even in grocery store sets. Yeah. Even not being in grocery store sets, like in the planning and the programming, I think we're still like 19th in the country uh, in dollar growth volume last year in IRI data, which is pretty big for a little a brewery like us. But what's going to happen when we get into the sets, I don't know. You're happy to be in, oh, we're going to go into to Publix and Kroger and these guys, but is the product going to move quickly enough to where I where I don't have to worry about it? Right. Can you manage the inventory tight enough? Because grocery stores and big box guys like to have their stuff full all the time. It takes more effort on the distributor or on me to go in there and have to make sure that the product is rotating properly. And that's right. what every brewer should do. Go to your distributor, look at how the rotations are going in the back with your product in the distributor because accidentally sometimes they'll pick up the new stuff and not the old older stuff so they've got something that's three weeks different and they put the new stuff in there and by the time that runs through you got stuff six weeks old yep. and, and these IPAs that people really like are a much more frail beer I think you know yeah. it's light little, little two row um, IPAs and they're very sensitive to temperature and they're sensitive to uh, time and and they're not filtered they're not pasteurized uh and that's what makes it a better product. But if you don't drink it in time, it's, it's no good. Right. You know, so everybody wants a year shelf life. Well, that's impossible for what some of the things that a lot of us are doing. Right. Maybe we'll find way, ways around it. Maybe filtration, we can get to, to a type of filtration that doesn't remove flavor. Pasteurization just, can just tear the flavor up in a beer. Right. And so we just avoid that mm-hmm. altogether. But that's a long discussion about the changes in the industry. I mean... It's, it's it's no different in the in the West Coast, no different Northeast, no different in the, no different in the South. There are brands that are starting to dominate locally in metro metropolitan areas. It's going to be difficult for them to be successful outside of the area without a physical presence in that other area. So right. instead of having one brewery, if you want to be successful in another state, you probably need another brewery in that state. Yeah. Well, breweries ain't cheap. Maybe the tasting room can help you pay for it. We make a lot more money in tasting room than we do off distribution, even at, sure. at, at you know, 25,000 barrel run rate. Mm-hmm. There's lots of changes coming, and, and I'll tell you what else is going to happen, and this is an unfortunate truth, is that the distributors are going to start cutting SKUs, because they can't afford to carry products, I know that they're hitting record numbers of having to pull back beer that's that's timing out on the shelf. Yeah. So usually that number is one or two percent of their, their budget, their expense budget, and then now suddenly it's three or four or five percent of their budget. It's because there's there's just so many SKUs. Right. So I try to urge people to focus on what they do best and you know don't don't worry about making a different beer every week. Mm-hmm. We still make 40 beers a year or something like that, but yeah. that's because my guys like to get on the small system, which used to be our big system, and make 7 or 15 barrel batches of stuff, and the market will take it, but mm-hmm. 15 barrels is not hard to move. You know, right. If you're trying to make 50 barrels of a one-off, then, then you have to worry about how you move it. Yeah. Yeah. I focus on, the every, on every person, not just... A, a, a small, narrow demographic, and some people don't like that. But did I do that? Yeah, and I mean, like you said, there's there's people out there that still 
have that opportunity yeah. to, to drink. So why why focus on the guys that are hey they're they're always they're gonna try it and move on to the next and maybe you can find someone that actually is gonna buy your beer yeah. the whole time. Well, there's that, well I have that, but there's a lot of people that aren't drinking it that will drink it because you you would be surprised. As I was surprised. I'm not surprised people don't don't, don't know who we are, but. Uh, Sometimes I'm surprised by some people that do when I'm in an airport somewhere overseas or something. But I, I was talking to a guy the other day, and the large, one of the largest, if not the largest, craft brewery in the state, I said something about it. He didn't know what it was. So because we all know each other and we all know who we are, it doesn't mean shit. If, if, if uh, Jane Doe doesn't know who you are uh, over there, and that's amazing to me that people don't know who these people are. But, and I'm not going to say who they are, but you know they're a big damn brewery, and, and they, and for people not to know who it is in the city of Atlanta, it's remarkable. Right. But it's not a ba- not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It just means there's opportunity, there's opportunity. Yeah. you know. So that so there's lots of opportunity. It's still a very small part of the overall beer market, mm-hmm. and even if the overall beer market shrinks, this is still going to grow in proportion to the rest of the beer market. So it's it's an interesting time, but in in the dur- disruption. And with certain pockets of the market feeling like they're cratering, there's nothing. There's just so much opportunity in that if people mm-hmm. can figure out a way to take advantage of it. So we just look for the cracks and figure out how to fill them in. And that's that's how we run our business. Cool. Yeah.